Welcome to the Head to Heal podcast, where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of The Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology, and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness, and most, if not all, disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of The Mindful Clinic. As always, I want to remind you that I am not a medical doctor and you should always seek help from a physician before beginning any new health regime. Okay, guys, so today we're going to dive in and we're actually going to talk about some behavioral psychology. So we're going to look at a specific technique where we can learn to manipulate human behavior. And so this technique is called the habit reversal technique. And so we're going to look at, you know, what habits are, how we create them, and then how we can reverse them or replace them with something that's a little bit more adaptive. So my undergraduate studies are in behavioral psychology, and today we're going to learn about the science-based theories that line the basis for human behavior. Okay, so there are two branches of behavioral psychology, and so we have classical conditioning and we have operant conditioning. And with classical conditioning, like this is Pavlov and the dog. So if any of you guys are from, probably most of you have heard of the experiment of Pavlov and the dog. And this is kind of where in classical conditioning, where we learn that human beings learn behaviors based on making associations between two things. So you might smell a bakery and begin to crave something sweet, or you might watch someone cut a lemon and begin to salivate. And so we actually aren't going to go into too much detail about classical conditioning today. That, that'll be for another podcast. But instead, we're going to focus on the other form of behaviorism, which is operant conditioning. Okay, so operant conditioning was uh, founded after classical conditioning. And the fathers of operant conditioning are John B. Watson and B.F. Skinner. And the assumption of behaviorism is that human beings actually do not repeat any behavior unless it serves a purpose. If you're going to take home one thing from this podcast today, take home that human beings do not repeat any behavior unless it serves a purpose. And so we've been talking a lot in the past couple episodes about neuroscience and the human brain and brain behavior activity. So I'm going to make this part like super short and sweet, but basically the brain is made up of a bunch of patterns and these patterns are called neuronal networks. And these networks are like playlists. So if you picture your brain as a deep wooded forest, every single time you walk on a path in the forest, it becomes easier and easier to walk on that same path rather than just like bushwhack through the forest. These are the patterns that I'm talking about. And so when we learn a specific behavior, the brain decides if this is an important behavior and to repeat it. And if so, it will create a deep network. So you can do this behavior over and over again with less and less effort. So this is how we kind of create these neuronal networks. We experience something and the brain decides, is this important? And if it is, it creates a deep network. So why do we have maladaptive behaviors then, right? And so if the brain decides what's important and what's not, and, you know, we all have goals and dreams of, I want to be a millionaire. I want to wake up at 6 a.m. I want to be healthy and thin, but we still continue to behave in ways that are inconsistent with that goal. Like what's really going on here? Like if we have a habit of sleeping in, we have a habit of pushing the alarm. We have a habit of overeating. We have a habit of being sedentary. Why can't our habits match our goals, right? And so why do we have these maladaptive behaviors? That becomes the question. 
And maladaptive, just so everybody knows, just means that these are behaviors that don't serve you. So like if we have adaptive behaviors, these are behaviors that are going to serve your higher good. Adaptive behaviors are something that's going to help you adapt. It's going to help you reach your goals. And maladaptive behaviors are behaviors that just no, don't serve you. So I want you to think of a maladaptive behavior that you might have right now. Like really think about it. Think about a behavior that you want to change. And I want you to try and think about how it is in some way serving you. Because remember, we do not repeat any behavior unless it serves a purpose. So even our maladaptive behaviors serve a purpose. And we continue to repeat these maladaptive behaviors, even though we consciously don't want to, because the brain perceives this behavior as being so important that it's going to encode this maladaptive behavior very deeply and make it a part of your subconscious. It's like when we have maladaptive behaviors, because they're maladaptive and we want to change them, but we can't, the brain is actually going to encode them so deeply it goes into the subconscious part of the mind. So the conscious brain can't do anything about it. And usually the subconscious basically deals with things that are related to survival or safety. So when the conscious part of the brain shuts down and we have these behaviors in the subconscious part of the brain, the brain perceives them as being related to survival or safety. And I'm going to break this down a little bit further for you. So just kind of do an overview. The brain loves patterns. And if you have a behavior or a thought pattern that is not adaptive for your confidence, your success but you keep doing or thinking or saying it anyways, it's because the brain is going to perceive this network or this pattern as being related to safety or survival in some way, even though this thought pattern or this behavior might be actually hurting you. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, so imagine you have, let's say, a thought pattern of thinking like, I'll never get that job, okay? You'll be less likely to try for the job if you think I'll never get that job and less likely to actually get it, right? So therefore, you're going to reinforce the validity of the statement, I'll never get that job just by your behaviors. Your behaviors are going to match that belief, right? So the brain doesn't make you a liar, right? So even though there are many more adaptive thoughts, so for example, like a more adaptive thought might be, I'm confident in my ability to get this job. That adaptive thought might lead you to performing better and then actually getting the job. So even though we have more adaptive thoughts, the brain is going to continue to replay the negative or the maladaptive thought pattern because it believes it's related to survival and it feels like safety. So you actually may have developed the thought, like, I'll never get that job because of a past rejection, right? And so if you like walked through life and you got every single job you applied for, you might not have that thought pattern of I'll never get that job because you've never experienced that. So oftentimes the brain creates these thought patterns like I'll never get the job, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, whatever it is, because of these past experiences we have. So because of this past rejection where let's say you didn't get the job, the brain developed the belief about you, I'm not good enough, and then continues to reject you. So you're like, your subconscious mind is continuing to reject you on a daily basis before anyone else does. It's almost like hurting your own feelings in your head to prevent rejection from other people. And this brain pattern, this like inner rejection that is developed keeps replaying over and over again because it's, tr it's trying to protect you. It's trying to protect you from further rejection. And this is actually how it's related to safety and survival, right? It is actually the, the brain perceives that it is safer for you to go in thinking you're a failure and not get the job than for you to think I'm going to get it for sure and be blindsided. Does that make sense? So most of the time when we have these negative patterns like behaviors or thought patterns, 
They are related to survival or safety, or we wouldn't continue to do them because we do not repeat any behavior unless it serves a purpose. And the behaviors that are really hard to change, the resistant to change ones are already in the subconscious. And if they're in there, they're somehow related to survival. And if you're somebody who has like a negative habits related to substance abuse, I would suggest going back and listening to the neuroscience of addiction, because I talk a lot about like how um, addiction is actually related to safety. And so that will make a little bit more sense there. But um, just moving forward here, the same is true for like any behavior. So like biting your nails or overeating or substance abuse or shopping or whatever it is. Um, So if you have a goal of like you want to save money, but you keep spending it, then like that's a maladaptive behavior, right? But maybe spending the money feels safer to you than saving it. And that just goes back to like whatever your experiences have been and whatever beliefs you have about yourself. So if you have a belief about yourself as like, I'm not good with money. You're going to continue like the patterns of behavior that feel safe are going to match that belief about yourself, not your goal or your desire. Okay. So even though some of these behaviors, these maladaptive behaviors can be dangerous or they can lower your self-esteem or they can make you broke or they can like essentially in some cases ruin your life, they are still somehow perceived as safety because at one point in your life, they were used to protect you from something else. And so what I'm really trying to hammer home here is that every single behavior that you have, every single habit, whether it be small or big, serves a purpose, okay? And that's what operant conditioning is all about. It's all about understanding what they call the function of the behavior so that when we can understand the function of the behavior, we can basically replace it with a more adaptive behavior. So operant conditioning is about understanding the function of behavior so we can replace it with a more adaptive behavior that's going to serve the same function. This is where that's like the key to this thing, right? And so I'm going to go into how to actually change it. But first, I just need to explain a little bit more about operant conditioning. So in operant conditioning, there's always the antecedent. So it follows ABC. There's the antecedent, which is like the trigger. Then there's the behavior. And then there's the consequence. So the antecedent, like the trigger might be you walking by a bakery, okay, and smelling like it might be the smell of baked goods. And then the behavior is you going and getting the baked good. And the consequence is you feeling like the benefits or that like dopamine hit of actually eating the baked good. So the behavior going and getting the baked good is followed up by the consequence, which is the positive feelings that that baked good gives you. Okay. And when we talk about things like substances or like eating, like these things are immediately reinforcing. We call this the reinforcement. Okay. So the consequence is either reinforcing or it's punishing. And so if the behavior is continuing, it means the behavior is being reinforced. If the behavior is not continuing, we want the behavior to stop. It means the behavior is being punished. But sometimes when we think we're punishing behaviors, we're actually reinforcing them. And I'm not going to go too much into detail about that. That's like different. That's different level stuff. But anyways, uh, I will give you an example though. So for example, like a kid's throwing a tantrum and you like send the kid to their room, right? So you think you're punishing the behavior, but if the kid continues to throw tantrums, that behavior is being reinforced in some way. So maybe the kid's throwing a tantrum to get your attention. So when you punish them, they're actually receiving that attention for you. So they're getting what they want, right? Or maybe that child doesn't want to finish their homework. So they throw a tantrum and you send them to the room and they escape having to do their homework, right? So if behaviors are continuing it, it means it's being reinforced in some way. So we have the antecedent, the trigger, the behavior, which is what you're actually doing, and then the consequence. And when we're we're looking at manipulating behavior, human behavior, we're looking at the habit, 
we need to, in order to understand that behavior, we have to look at the consequence. How is this being reinforced in some way? And the consequence is what we call the function of the behavior. So we engage in that behavior for the function of whatever this consequence is. Okay. So that was, that was like a whole two years of behavioral psychology in like 10 minutes. So, um, if you're still with me, I'm going to continue, but operant conditioning is all about understanding the function or the consequence of the behavior. Once we can understand the function or the consequence, we can actually replace that behavior with something that serves the same purpose. Okay. So there are only four functions to behavior. Like you can think of any behavior that ever exists in the entire world, even behaviors like getting out of bed or behaviors like turning on the TV or putting your seatbelt on or going to work, like all of these are behaviors too. They're not necessarily maladaptive behaviors, but all behaviors, adaptive or maladaptive behaviors, all serve one of these four functions, okay? So the first function is attention. The second function is tangible. The third function is escape. And the fourth function is sensory. So Attention, to put it into, like, to give you an example, attention is, enga- is engaging in a behavior to receive attention. So this would be like throwing a tantrum to receive attention from your parents, right? Or it would be like losing weight to get attention from, like, a cute boy. Um, and then if we look at tangible, tangible is engaging in a behavior to obtain access to something physically tangible. So this is like going to work to obtain access to money. Or it's like um, doing all your homework to obtain access to a treat, right? And so this is behaviors that you engage in to actually obtain something that you can hold in your hand. Escape is engaging in a behavior to escape something. So this can be like escaping a demand, like you that kid who throws a tantrum to not do his homework, or maybe procrastinating so you don't have to do your work. Like the procrastination is an escape function, right? Um, or emotional eating is escaping. So eating to escape stress, to escape anger, to escape sadness, right? We're engaging in a behavior to escape something. It could be a state of mind or it can be like a demand. And then the fifth one is sensory. So this is engaging in a behavior to stimulate your senses. So this would be like smelling the roses, listening to music, um, or like eating to stimulate your taste buds, right? I will, I often do relate it back to eating just because that's my Uh, practice. But anyways, there are only four functions of behaviors. Okay. So any behavior that you're engaging in, like if you want to change your habit, you need to understand, like identify what the behavior is. So if the behavior is biting my nails, um, then, and identify what the consequence or what the function of that behavior. So let's take the example of biting your nails, right? So for me, I'm a nail biter. The only way that I don't bite them is if I get them actually done every two weeks. And as soon as I like pull one off, I'm back. I I pull them all off and I have to go back. But anyway, so nail biting is one that we can, that's might be relatable to most people. So um, if you're a nail biter, for me, nail biting is a sense of escaping. So I tend to nail bite when I feel stressed. And so instead of feeling stressed, I bite my nails, right? So I'm escaping the feeling of stress. But it's also a sensory thing, right? Because it actually is like evoking the sensation of feeling. It's an oral fixation. And so biting my nails has two functions. It has sensory and it has escape. I'm not biting my nails to receive attention from anyone for sure. I'm not biting my nails to obtain anything tangible. So it's sensory and it's escape. And once you can understand the function of your behavior, you can basically replace it with a more adaptive behavior that serves that same function. 
Hey guys, I have something so exciting for you. As most of you know, I'm obsessed with brain behavior activity, and my entire practice is based off of manipulating the nervous system to create successful change. For the past three years, I have been actively researching psychedelic therapy and how it is able to help clients break free from self-sabotage and negative thought patterns and essentially create new neuronal networks. I have recently released The Daily Dose, which is a short how-to course on microdosing and how to use it with various mental health disorders safely. In this course, you will learn what microdosing is, how it changes the brain, the specific research that's been done on various mental health disorders, so anxiety, depression, PTSD, chronic pain, addictions, autoimmune disorders, sleep disorders, PMS, OCD, and even to enhance creativity or performance. You're also going to learn about comparisons to conventional medicine and contraindications. So obviously this therapy is not for everybody. You're going to learn about limitations and you're going to learn about the difference between microdosing and macrodosing and which one is more effective. This course is also going to include a how to dose guide. So this is a simple guide on specific protocols that have been tried and true so that you can safely implement this into your regime. I have also teamed up with a reputable microdosing company, Schedule 35, to offer you guys a discount code on their product. The discount code could be found in the show notes, and I've been using Schedule 35 for years along with my clients, and my partner uses it. We love the company. They're great. This course launches on April 20th, so click the link in the show notes and get ready to change your brain. Back to regular programming. Okay, so the reason why we repeat any behavior is because it serves a purpose, right? So when things become a habit through a thought pattern or a behavior, it's because it serves a purpose that's related to our survival or basic need. That's why it gets encoded very deeply and we can't really change it. So for example, like nail biting is an attempt to escape. It's an attempt to regulate the nervous system. Substance abuse is usually escape and sensory. It's related to regulating the nervous system, reducing stress. And then Eating is like, you know, we're promoting feelings of satiety. So that's like directly related to survival, obviously. Um, We're increasing dopamine. We're regulating the nervous system. So a lot of this is like sensory and escape. Like I I see that most prominently in my practice. So this is how habits are developed. So like, (laughs) let's say it again. We simply wouldn't repeat any behavior unless it serves a purpose. And this is a branch off behavioral psychology. And so we can explore manipulating this behavior through the use of like positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. So positive reinforcement would be like adding something to continue a behavior. So like, yay, Jordana, or adding praise. Negative reinforcement would be like taking something away to continue a behavior. We can use aversive stimuli. So this is like uh, if you put an elastic band around your wrist and every time you have a craving for a cigarette, you snap the elastic band and then your brain associates like craving with pain. Or we can do antecedent interventions, which is like manipulating the environment. So like if you don't want to eat the donut, don't pass by the shop, right? So this is changing your environment so you're not triggered to engage in any of these behaviors. So that might be on a positive note, like packing your gym clothes the night before so you're more likely to go or like getting the junk food out of your house, throwing the cigarettes away. Like these are all antecedent interventions. And then we can put the behavior on extinction. So this is just not reinforcing the behavior. So uh, for example, If you're somebody who has cravings or like cravings for a cigarette, you have the craving, but you do not smoke the cigarette. So now it's important to bring up also the topic of rewards, right? So here's where I see a lot of, and we're going to stick with like health coaches just for this topic, mainly because that's my practice, but 
This is where I see a lot of like health coaches and diets just like totally shit the bed. Because if we have to understand the function of the behavior in order to like properly change it, then like, let's say you have a goal of, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds. So you go to a health coach and you're like, I want to lose 20 pounds. But the function of your being overweight, the function of the behavior of you overeating is to emotionally eat. So you're an emotional eater. So you're eating to escape an emotion, right? So the function of your behavior is emotional eating or escape. And you go to that health coach and she puts you on like a diet plan to count calories. It's never going to work. Okay. Like we can count and reduce calories all I want, but we're still not changing the function of your overeating behavior, which is to escape. Right. However, if we went to that same health coach and that health coach understood behavioral psychology and that health coach was like, okay, like you, your function of your behavior is escaping. So what I want you to do is I want you to go outside for a walk three times a day. I want you to listen to music for 10 minutes a day. Right. So that actually might be a more effective protocol for that specific person, because it's going to allow them to escape using a different mechanism other than food. I hope this is making sense, but this is like where I really get frustrated with some health coaches. And, and a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, I've done everything. I've cut calories. I've cut out whole food groups. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're an emotional eater, like none of that is going to matter. We have to get to the function of the behavior and use behavioral psychology in order to change behavior and change habits. And of course it is not easy. It's much easier said than done. Like there's so much more that goes into it. It's not just about like using different behaviors, but, uh, but this is one component of it. Another place where I see a lot of, um, where I see a lot of the shit go wrong is where we, when we talk about the idea of a reward, right? And so human beings thrive on positive reinforcement. We love positive reinforcement. And so if we're using rewards that contradict our goals, our goal will, will never reach our goal. Okay. So we would never want to reward healthy behavior with unhealthy behavior. It's not like I went to the gym three times a week. So like now I get to eat some donuts on the weekend. This is where the cheat meal like really shits the bed because what what we're going to do is when we set up the nervous system to understand that like the reward is pleasure and anything that is opposite of the reward is pain, right? And so if the reward is like getting donuts, then the work to get the reward is perceived as pain. And as soon as that person feels like they didn't get a good enough sleep or they're dealing with something in their emotional life or they're just unable to like control themselves, they're going to reach for that reward and sabotage themselves. So like the reward should never be contradicting the goal. If your goal is to save money, shopping is not an appropriate reward for saving money, okay? If your goal is to lose weight, overeating or indulging is not an appropriate reward. It doesn't matter that you can't have the donut, but you don't do it to treat yourself for like the quote unquote good behavior that you've done. And this actually makes total sense when we look at it from like a more aggressive standpoint. So if you were an alcoholic, you would not reward yourself with a drink after three weeks of sobriety. Like that's just not an appropriate reward. And so we need to kind of generalize this and and pull back and understand this from like a broader perspective. The reward should never contradict the goal. Okay. We do, however, want to create a system where we're rewarding ourselves for or reinforcing the behavior that is in line with our goals, right? Human beings love positive reinforcement. So it actually helps if you have a list of like, adaptive rewards that um, are in line with your goals. So some examples might be like listening to your favorite song or engaging in meditation or reading a page of a favorite book or drawing or coloring or, or doing a fun physical activity like playing sports or playing loud music and dancing around or calling a friend. 
watching a funny movie, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, like doing like these self-care things um, that are going to not contradict whatever your goal is, right? But ultimately, if we kind of go back to the functions of the behavior, it's really important to understand what the function of your maladaptive behavior is if we want to change it. So if the function of your smoking behavior is to escape, like escape stress, then we need to really work on the stress and find another behavior that's more adaptive. And it might be from this like adaptive rewards list or adaptive behaviors list um, that still allows you to escape. So it could be going for a walk. It could be drinking a glass of water, whatever it is, it allows you to escape your environment. And I can't really choose that for you. Only you can choose that for you. Okay. So we are now going to talk about the actual reversal technique here. So this is called habit reversal technique, and it was originally developed by Nathan Asbrin and his colleagues in the early 1970s. So this has been around for a really long time. And then it was later named habit reversal training in 2005. But the goal of the habit reversal is to identify what the current maladaptive habits are that you want to change. And this is an exercise to find a competing behavior. So a competing behavior is a little bit different than just finding behavior that serves the same function. A competing behavior is a behavior that is physically incompatible with the habit that you have. For example, if the behavior is like nail biting, a competing behavior might be like putting on lotion or like sitting on your hands or playing with Play-Doh, right? The competing behavior needs to make it physically impossible for you to engage in that habit. So if your maladaptive behavior is eating, then a competing behavior, one that I like to use, especially at nighttime with clients, is if they have a habit of like snacking while watching TV, I get them to keep their hands busy. So like play with Play-Doh, play with a crystal, do whatever, so that they can't like eat and do that at the same time. Or singing, you can't like, I mean, I guess you could eat and sing at the same time, but it's like not super compatible, if you know what I mean. So this exercise, the goal of this exercise is to identify the habits that you've engaged in and become more aware of them when they occur by understanding the triggers or like the antecedents and knowing what the purpose of this behavior is. So is this a self-soothing behavior? Is it avoidance? Is it to derive pleasure? Is it what, which one of the four functions is it basically? And replacing it with a competing or more adaptive behavior. So there's actual steps here. So I don't know if you're listening while driving or walking, and you don't have a piece of paper with you, but I will put these steps in the show notes for you guys. But the first step is to identify and describe the habit that you want to change. Okay. So, and and this is, you know, this is the actual behavior that you're engaging in. So nail biting, for example. And the second thing is to identify in detail the sequence of behaviors that are associated with this habit. So like with nail biting, it's not just like you bite the nail. It's like picking the skin, biting the top layer of the nail, spitting it out, swallowing the nail. There's always these like habits or these like other behaviors that are in conjunction with like the ultimate behavior you want to change. You want to identify all of the sequences in detail. The third step is to identify the antecedents. So like this is where we find the triggers. So the antecedents are like, you know, um, was there an emotional cue or was there an environment, like a visual cue? What is triggering you to engage in this behavior? The fourth step is to reinforce. So write down the function of this behavior. So you want to write down like, what is this behavior really serving? Is this behavior helping you self-soothe? Is this behavior helping you escape? How is this behavior being reinforced that makes it want to continue? Okay. And then the fifth step is writing down the negative consequences of this habit. So with nail biting, it's like, I have to pay a lot of money every other week to go and get them redone. My nails are really thin. They're unattractive. And then the sixth step is to create a competing response. So what is the competing behavior that you can engage in instead? So instead of nail biting, you can put your hands in your pockets. You can play with like Play-Doh. You can put lotion on. 
instead of eating, you can drink a glass of water, you can sing, you, you can put your hands in your pockets, you can chew gum. Instead of smoking, you can drink a glass of water, you can chew gum, you can go indoors where we technically can't smoke anymore. Um, and you want to engage in this competing behavior for at least one minute. And so by doing this over and over again, by creating repetition around this and by becoming really aware of like what the triggers are, what the ABCs, the antecedents, the behaviors and the consequences are, and by engaging in the new competing behavior for one minute, every single time you feel that trigger, then by doing this over and over again, we're going to create a new system in the nervous system. So we're going to create a new pattern. There are two additional steps that just kind of really help to solidify this and make this exercise stronger. But so step seven would be to find social support. So contact like a family member or a friend who can help to keep you accountable and help to keep you on track. And then the eighth step is to reward yourself. So reinforce yourself. Every time you engage in the competing behavior, you want to do something that's like reinforcing. So reinforcement doesn't have to always be like spending money or doing something big like a self-care activity. It can literally be like you saying, yay me or great work or woohoo. Um, yay me is something I use a lot in my practice and with myself. And it actually works, right? Because it actually just like helps to build positive uh, feelings and emotions around this new behavior. And the more that we can build up our self-esteem and feel good about ourselves, the more self-efficacy we can have, the more ability we'll have to sticking to our new adaptive behaviors because we won't feel so shitty about ourselves. So the maladaptive behaviors will fall off. This is the habit reversal technique. So I really just wanted to give you guys a, a chance to understand this habit reversal technique. I use this technique when I, I do field work in rehab centers on the weekends sometimes, and I use this a lot with um, some of the recovering addicts there, and I use this in my practice, I use this with myself. So um, yeah, this is just a little insight into behavioral psychology, and hopefully you found this valuable. I will put all of this information in the show notes, and don't forget to like and subscribe, share with a friend. Subscribing keeps this information free and available to everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you found it interesting and I will see you on another episode of Head to Heal. Bye.